Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And now, a special edition of the Toddcast Podcast. Hey, it's Sebastian. Hey, Sebastian, right on. Thank you, man, for doing this. Yeah, no worries. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good, man. How about you? Good, good. Early uh, mornings. <laughs> I, I got to be honest, when they said 8.30, I was like, what? Are, are you? I'm, I'm talking to a rock band at 8.30 Thank in the, you. In the, Thank you. In the I'm morning, like, what the fuck? Like, like, well, they call this, uh, like, you guys are doing CTV at 7.15. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? It's No one's doing anything at 7.15. Dude, straight up shocked <laughs> me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it at 8.30. I didn't expect the guys to be up by then, but all right. Like, good, good, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so big day for you guys coming up uh, pretty quick, actually. May 29, the Bastards album will be released. You must be stoked for that, obviously. Yeah, no, it, it's like, it's weird. It's for something that we've worked so hard on for the past like two years from we were on tour for such a long time since like 2015 and so this record kind of is now the band we've become over the you know touring years and right. it's exciting having it out and we but we finally got to the point that we were able to go tour the world and play like massive rooms and do it all by ourselves and it's amazing but now it's like we're stuck at home putting out a record <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so it's kind of like uh yeah Everyone's like, well, hold on to the record till you go back on tour. I'm like, we're making our album four already. Like, there's no point to hold yeah. music. Like, just, when is that? Just I, put I, it out. I've heard that the, the, the big shows, you know, big arena shows, they're probably not going to be happening until, like, fall of 2021, is what I'm hearing. Oh, from the inside easily. of, like, you know. Yeah, like, that's... Easily. Well, we hold on problem. to an album for another year and four months? Like, fuck that. It, it, yeah, at that point, honestly, we, we, we were discussing it. Like, if... We're at that we're at that weird pivotal point that we're now like the smaller fish in the big pond, you know, right, versus right. being like the big fish in the small pond. So it's it's like we're at that point that it's like, all right, cool, we went past the threshold of being in a van and doing all that things. It's like, all right, we're on buses, we're doing like big theaters, you know, small arenas, like all around the world. This is great. Now we have an album that we're able to do it, and now it's like people are asking us to do. In in home acoustic shows to put out the record. I'm like that's not what the fucking record was made for. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. I, I I'm gonna yeah. get. I want to get a little bit more into the album in in just a sec here, but I wanted to kind of if if we could, Sebastian. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning, like before you're in any bands at all. Uh, what's the music in your house as a kid growing up? Like, what are the bands your parents are playing? Uh, we, luckily, our mom was a rock and roll photographer so she was out with like Johnny Thunders and debaters back in like the 80s and stuff so we mm-hmm. our musical knowledge as kids were a little bit far verse than most and I think yeah. it was a really it was a really great thing we had the faces on you know Super Tramp was on like um, a lot of stones like it was a lot of stuff that's obviously influenced the band entirely without even it was kind of just when you have something in the background uh, your whole life and then all of a sudden you that's the only thing you end up listening to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge thing. And then when I was when I was younger, when I was like eleven or twelve, that was when I started discovering like more of a modern rip pop, so like all the '90s stuff, like the Oasis and the Verve and Blur, mm-hmm. and like the early Libertines and 
all that stuff. So that was kind of like what I, you know, found for myself. But uh, it was always has been, and I think will always will be, is the sounds and the faces were such a huge impact on us as a band. Those were the first bands to really grab a hold then? Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, those are those are it. And then the Black Crows were actually the first band we saw and we're like, What the hell? This is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Black so. Crows was that was your first concert. Um, it's funny enough, so we our mom took us to four different concerts in like one week and it was it was Hanson. These were all three brothers. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got the Black Crows, um, Jet and then there were uh, there was some other I think it was in wow. excess actually. Wow. Yeah, because my mom my mom was a a photographer in excess back in the day. So Wow. Dude, that's amazing. I just had um Steve Gorman, the uh, drummer for the Black Crows on the podcast. Oh really? Fucking okay, awesome, cool. dude. If you haven't read his book. Like yeah. That, that book, if you're a fan of the Black Crows and haven't read Steve Gorman's book, like what an yeah. eye opener. Holy crap, that was a toxic band, man. Like how they oh, made yeah. it as long as they did is a mind blower. I think that's where every you know, the biggest thing that everyone always asks is about being brothers, and I think like we found the threshold of being able to still tolerate one another because we still have the same goals and ambitions. And I think regardless sure. of any hatred towards one another, we've always been able to follow suit and you know continue with what we want to do. Yeah, I mean, you look like look at the historically the bands that have had siblings not necessarily brothers like heart mm-hmm. nickelback mm-hmm. of course is massive kings of leon yeah. is another big band i wonder if there's like do you feel that you have a little bit of a leg up being that they're brothers like that you oh, and, and have I, lived with them I, I the whole I, time and like it's it, it can be the demise really quickly because the things you can say to one another is <laughs> i think the, i think the hardest thing is like if you i think kings leon had it right it was three brothers and a cousin right. so it's like only family and you can say the most vulgar things to one another and the most insulting things and you're fine two minutes later right. but we have seen with people that are in the band that play bass that aren't necessarily blood brothers they it's kind of like at first it's a culture shock when they hear how we speak to each other or they see like fish flying like in the back of the car and no one no one talks about it it's just like you just beat the shit out of each other and two minutes later you're fine right and i think for anyone else they're like visualizing this or even just seeing on a daily basis it becomes they're like all right this is normal but at first it's like holy shit i don't know if i could be around this because it is <laughs> it's a very high energy thing all the time yeah you know? i could i could definitely feel that <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get back to the the new album, uh, The Bastards, May 29th. Maybe talk a bit about the recording process with, with your band. Um, wh- what's it like in studio? Do you guys come fully prepared with songs? Is it maybe some riffs or others are fully written? Like, how does that work with your band? Um, uh, for this for this album, there's a song on the record called Redeemer, and that kind of started the whole process of writing, not necessarily in a style, but more in a truthful way. Of writing, we've we've always beat around the bush when it came to lyrics and being super direct. And I think mm-hmm. this time around, we just kind of we've experienced a lot more. So we're writing from more of a truthful place versus like story like storytelling. We're actually telling the stories that we've seen and heard and been a part of. Right. And Life so experience. when we started, yeah, real real experiences because yeah. you don't have that. When we did our first two albums, we were we haven't even really touched the road. Well, how, the how old part. were you for the first record? Um, for the first record, we started writing that, like, for Side A, um, Room Side A, like, when he's talking about being, like, 18 and 19 in, in the mm-hmm. songs, and now he's 26. Mm-hmm. So, 
to see the di- that was when we you know wrote the, that record and this record's been write, been writing since like 2017 and we didn't really have studio time it was more or less we had a week off in between tours we would fly back home we we started the process with we actually started the process in Paris with Redeemer Remington and Emerson um, when that that's uh that singer, a little peep, died. They wrote a song about him because we were like close to him as well, and it kind of like mm-hmm. started this process. And then in February 2018, we started writing um, songs like "Masochist" and "Wasted" and all these songs that necessarily didn't make the record, but it started the theme of the album. Right. And then we um, came back from our first like European tour that we did, or full or second European tour in 2018 that we did. It was like February. We came back. And we decided to go into an Airbnb for two weeks and just like full on isolation. <laughs> nice. It's funny now isolation now, but yeah, it, yeah. We, we did it. We did it willingly. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just us. No one was around us for a mile. We were in the desert of Joshua Tree and wrote like our heaviest music on the album. We wrote Masters of the New American Dream and just got very political. Right. We wrote Anxiety. We wrote a song called Doom. And those were just songs that like came out out of pure frustration from the tour we were on previously and just like kind of how this all came about. And um, we kind of did the same thing in like uh, August of 2017. We went to an Airbnb in Topanga Canyon, California, like near Malibu, locked ourselves away for a week and knocked out Tonight's Night I Die, Talking With My Head, um, Stay. There's been a bunch of songs, like little pockets that finished off. Mm-hmm. And we thought we were done with the album in 2000. In 19, like, we thought we were done with it before we went on tour with Marilyn Manson. And then we came back and we, like, knocked out four more tracks. And we had, like, 25 songs for the album. Whittled it down. And then just, now we're we're at 15 now. There's supposed to be 16, but the 16th is a cover um, of Minnetta Oil's uh, Beds Are Burning. Oh, cool. And we sent it out to them, and they're like, no, you can't do this. (laughs) Really? Okay. That's amazing. Like, why not? it's why I can put it out on YouTube and no one, you can't do anything about it. But I guess when it comes to licensing or things like you have to get their consent, almost right. thing. Right. Right. So, huh. um, we have to go, we, we, we changed the, the verse lyrics and they're like, no, this is too personal. You need to like redo it if you want to do it. I'm like, we should have just not asked and just have done it. And then, you know, ask for forgiveness later, I guess. Always but, the best man. <laughs> like do it I and ask for forgiveness. I know. We were like, fuck, <laughs> should we do this? Should we do this properly? And, um, yeah. Yeah. And we're like, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll send it out. And it was like, yeah. nope, absolutely not. It's a personal song. You can't change the lyrics. And we're like, huh. oh. hmm. what about a remix? What about if we call it a fucking remix? You can't change anything about it. Totally, right? <laughs> uh, hey, Sebastian, tell us about getting arrested last year. You're on tour. You're in Massachusetts. <laughs> you, you throw a coffee on somebody. What happened there? Um, yeah, no, we were, we were starting where We just finished uh, a few shows with Hailstorm. And we were coming out, and Massachusetts was in Winter Morster, and that was the first show of the two. And I remember we were rehearsing the night before at the venue, and went out. Um, I had my dog on tour with me, and took her out, and walked across the street. And there's you know some cars coming by, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to pick her up and go across the crosswalk. This car comes out of like a red light, almost hits me, but continues to keep on going. And it starts, like, you know, screaming out the cars and, like, saying everything he possibly can. And I'm like, whatever, fuck this. And it's like, throw, I throw a coffee at his car. Right. And, of course, his window's down by, like, a literally, like, a not even an inch, you know, for him to, like, yell out of. But he obviously didn't 
right. roll it all the way down. And it must have gone in his car. I didn't see anything. But then he, like, pulls out off, off the side of the road, right in front of our bus, jumps out of the car, rolls out, runs up the street. I'm holding this six-pound little poodle dog. And, like, it looked ridiculous. And this guy's like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm 6'1", and the guy's, like, 5'3". And I'm like, all right, I'm yeah. all hockey players. Uh, this is not going to end nicely for him if it is a problem because all the rest of the band jumped out of the bus immediately, right. like, when they heard this all happen. And they're like, what the fuck's going on? And this guy's like, I'm calling the cops. They're like, all right, cool, whatever. And we just, like, went, went into the venue. Like, two, two hours, like, go on and our bus driver comes out he's like the cops are looking for you i'm like how would they know who they're looking for i'm like fine i'll go talk to the cop walk outside and i'm like tell him the whole story he's like he's like it's nothing that you really did but the guy wants to press charges i'm like i'll pay for a car wash i'll pay for whatever like damages like i'll give him cash right now i don't that's no trouble and the guy's like no you need to learn your lesson he obviously sees sold out with my face on a marquee behind me so it's like like you need to learn your lesson i'm like okay fine let's uh, find all these cops show up get arrested thrown in cuffs thrown in cuffs put in the back oh, of the car God. brought down to the jail cell like was there for eight hours and like ten thousand dollars later finally have it off my record 10k is, it's for a coffee because there's one guy and the funny part is when i went back i found out this guy is a lawyer i'm like you idiot wow. you can get your whole entire think you know off the bar but it's it was unnecessary <laughs> but i guess i learned my lesson that everyone had yeah 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 Thanks. uh sebastian of course when i mentioned you were going to be uh, a guest of the podcast i got a, uh, some fan questions i'd like to rip through with you if that's cool yeah no uh brent wants to know when you find time obviously there's lots of time right now what are you currently binge watching um unfortunately we've tried to watch anything and everything um, that's it's got to the point that we, we I rewatched Californication just recently, yeah, and amazing. and that's like really much. It. I, I I've got to the point of just like I'm so over the television. I'm <laughs> just like I need to get back to reality. Um, yeah, I'm, I watch a lot of cooking shows. Oh and, really? Yeah, same. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, Stress Table on Netflix is do, like really good. Do you like cooking? Yeah, I absolutely love cooking. It's funny. Um, we did this segment. We've been doing kind of this weekly live stream stuff. And I did this uh, cooking segment, segment called uh, Cooking with Sebastian. It's on YouTube. And it's, okay. we put, put together this whole thing. It, it's just funny. It's just, but it's funny. I, we live in a live in an age that's very sensitive towards uh, a lot of people that are vegan. And I have no shame in like what I eat or whatever. Like I choose what I eat. And, yeah. uh, it's, but obviously I cook everything because a lot of fans are vegan. So, I make sure that it's like people can watch it. I guess people get weirded out when they see, you know, fish or poultry being cooked. So it's like, it's weird if it's a vegan cooking show that I have now turned it into. But yeah, yeah. It's fine. We'll just cook tofu. That's fine. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Um, Troy wants to know who is your favorite superhero and your favorite superhero movie? Mm, I've never really gone into the whole superhero. Hmm. Like I really? enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy the movies, but I am not like never been much of a fanatic for it. Right? Um, yeah. You, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you, nothing really. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do you believe aliens have visited Earth? Of course, they just released that. You know, the, the government released that. Uh, yeah, there's UFOs, and 
<laughs> Literally, that just went by in a blink because of the COVID-19. People are like, fuck, whatever. You yeah, um, Do you think aliens have visited? I don't know. I don't know. At this point, I don't even know anymore. It's like my, my opinion on it is just like, eh, eh, doesn't really do anything for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. are you it's like we, grew, we grew up in Vegas, so Area 51 was such a huge thing, but so it kind of came to me as, you know, growing up in Vegas, everything was an attraction, and I think when it becomes something that is actually a very big government thing, and it's you know, top secret stuff, it also can come off as being a joke at some time, because it's like, oh, we have a space valid, we have, you know, like all these things that are playing on, on certain things, so when you put something in like yes you can't visit area 51 but it becomes that thing like oh we have the Luxor shoe it's like you're in Egypt we have the stratosphere it's, you know, it's like all these little things mm. Mm. that are kind of themed attractions for people to go to so that just I think for people living in Vegas it kind of classifies in that that it's like oh you hear about it so much you're like alright whatever you know yeah it almost becomes a parody of itself Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys, uh, Tara wants to know, are you guys recording much video lately? Will we see a Palais Royal uh, DVD anytime soon? Um, yeah, we're, 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 we definitely have something in the works. There's, there's something that we, we've, we've always been really good about having a camera around us at all times, regardless of what's happening. Yeah. Um, so we were able to put out for just kind of the four weeks that we were out on the Bastion Tour to it. There's a whole segment. It's like an hour long on YouTube. And you kind of just get to see how the emotions of going through sold out shows across every country in Europe to like all of a sudden being shut down due to everything climate things and all of a sudden due to COVID and getting shipped back home immediately. So, you know, it's a journey in itself. But um, for future stuff, we definitely want to do a Palerau, live at the Palerau. Um, kind of live concert DVD and doing with a backstory. So for the newer fans that do come in, they can like see us playing the Viper, us playing high schools, like us being a one of five opening band and traveling across America in a you know mom's SUV for two years. You know, like those pivotal points that really gave the, the band and who we are as people kind of an identity. Sure, the foundation of the band. Yeah. 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 Um, what are your thoughts on uh, legalized marijuana? I know we live in California. I can't smoke weed. I'm, I have a problem with it, but <laughs> it's not. I have a problem with weed. I just, I really don't smoke weed, and I just eat twenty bowls of cereal. So I guess it might not be a problem. Yeah. But I just can't. I can't control myself. So I don't. I don't really care. Everyone around me smokes. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sebastian, I want to respect your time and thank you again for doing this this uh, this morning with us. Uh, a couple more questions and, and and I'll let you get going here. Yeah, have, have you ever had a near death experience? Yeah, I think a lot on tour in the early years. I think that was the biggest thing because I was the only one driving the vehicle at the time, and we were in an SUV, and you know, there was six grown men sleeping in an SUV, like playing to five people across you know North America. Yeah. We finally got into having an airport like some of us, and we converted all the seats into bunks because we just we were so scared of any band that had like a bus or a bandwagon or an RV. So we kind of created our own thing out of like a 1996 old airport shuttle bus. And nice. the guy that gave it to us gave it to us for free, and you should never get anything for free because that's obviously not a good sign at all. Probably but, something you know, wrong with it, yeah. 
Exactly. And we we were driving to Texas. We this, it was all in the same week, which is really strange. Was, we were coming from Denver. Our transmission blew out. I had to drive from Denver straight to Sacramento. So it was like a 24-hour like, straight through drive. Got Sacramento, played the show, went and drove straight to Los Angeles like because we wanted to go play a show. We had a, sh- a show in Anaheim next day. And that, we got home. The moment I parked park the van at home, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. So both through the night, and the transmission goes out again, and the shifter cables go, so I couldn't put the car in park. Mm. And so I had to sit with my foot on the brake for like four hours or so. And waiting for a time to come and kind of troubleshoot the problem without me lifting my foot off the brake, and he didn't necessarily know what it was because it was such like, it was just something that's kind of an odd thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And so he finally fixes it and gets to the show. And of course I get to the show and I'm like, I can't do this. And there's a hospital next nearby, like walk myself to the hospital check. And they're like, you're legit. Like they hooked up two bags of IV and they're like, you're having a panic, like full on panic attack. You cannot be under these conditions. Like you definitely haven't slept in a week. Like, you need to take a break. And then I was like, what time are you doing? They're like, it's 9 o'clock. I'm like, I want to stage 9 15. Like, rip out the IVs out of my arms. Literally <laughs> run to the show. Like, go play the show. Then get home and we're just, like, gone. You know, like, to the point, like, we just, and my body's just shut down. And so it was, like, that whole, like, two-hour experience or two-day experience or just, like, shit, like, I'm actually going to die after all this. Like, you know, like, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't even, you know. Yeah, it was a whole weird experience. And then we had to drive to Texas the next night, the next day. And I'm like, fuck it, let's go. Wow. We get to the gas station and I get out and I walk into this gas station. Remington Emerson are sleeping in the bus. The yep. same shit happens. The shifter cable breaks. No, they're, they're in the bus or like the, the shitty fucking shuttle bus go across four lanes of traffic. No one's at the wheel. Remington gets up and like runs and slams on the brakes and was able to like actually save himself from hitting another gas station. Wow. And it was just like that whole week was like probably like, I will always remember that, but it was like those things of realizing like how powerful the body is that you can push yourself to that, but never push yourself to that point. Yeah. And it was like, it was almost like, it, yes, it wasn't like a near death experience, but the whole week was a near death experience when you look back at it because yeah. I was in the hospital. Like we, my brothers almost died in front of my eyes. Like, it's a whole, it was a whole thing. Dude, so, that's, that's like straight out of Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, but I think <laughs> you don't have those, those, those stories. I feel like it's funny you tell it to other bands. They're like, oh yeah, that should happen. They all, they all have them. Yeah, fuck yeah, yeah they do. They all you're, do. Like, you're like, these are the stripes you need to earn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right, I'll ask you uh, one last question. Could be the toughest uh, that I'll ask. Can you nail it down to one career highlight? Back nice. and forth, and it was one of the most like 
holy shit, there's like this weird energy that just happened amongst, you know, a thousand people and us on stage. And that was the first time I was like, shit, we're like a real band. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of how many shows, we played like 600 shows up to that point. But that was the first time I felt like every person is here to see us. This is our first headline tour. Mm-hmm. It was like, it just felt that energy. And there was the same kind of similar experience that we had in Toronto. We played the Mod Club and we've only, we never headlined. We played 550 people on our like second show ever in Toronto. And it was just so cool to see kids in that town. And it was like, all right, this is meant to be. And it was one of those weird things. And, and it's weird. It, it continues to happen. And we just went and played um, in London. It was, we played to 2,000 people on our third headline show in London. And, uh, wow. Canada, and not in Canada, and in the UK. And it's a sold-out show months in advance. And our whole European tour is sold out. It's just like these things that are just like reassurance keys. And I think that, yeah. that that's kind of like... Yeah, that and then order two eggs and Rob Zombie. That was kind of yeah. I bet that was probably cool. an alright one. Yeah, I would think yeah, so. it was a cool one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats on all the success, uh, Sebastian, and thank you again for taking the time. Uh, your band's new album is coming out on May 29th. It's called The Bastards. Uh, your Twitter and Instagram accounts are simply your band's name, uh, Palais Royale, and you are Sebastian Danzig on both platforms as well. Perfect. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks again, and uh, I guess we'll see you guys online. Yeah, sounds good. The Toddcast Podcast on ToddHancock.ca. What if you discovered you could move between the worlds of dreams and real life? That's the story of Dream Breachers, where Evan wakes up on his 12th birthday and realizes that something he dreamt about the night before had actually happened. With the help of his friends, a reappearing stranger, and a mysterious organization called the Dream Academy, Evan will discover what it means to be a dream breacher. Dream Breachers is a high-stakes sci-fi mystery adventure about the highs and lows of having all your dreams come true, and is perfect for kids ages 8 to 12. If that sounds like a dream to you, you're in luck. You can listen to Dream Breachers now, wherever you get your podcasts. 